Well, good morning, Faith Bible Church. It is wonderful to see you this morning on this wonderful Sunday. My name is Seth Brown. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, again, it's great to be with you. It's great to gather with you in person uh, to worship our gracious God this morning. If you're gathering with us online at your homes, we are thankful for your presence as well. It is good uh, that our Lord can be praised wherever we might gather. And so, again, we are thankful that each and every one of you are here with us this morning. If you are visiting with us, or if this is your first time at Faith Bible Church, welcome. Uh, we hope that you are encouraged and blessed by your time with us, and we'd love to meet you. And so uh, after the service, we encourage you to visit the Welcome Center out in the foyer. Uh, I'll be there to hang out and, uh, and meet you and give you some information about the church. So again, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, as for announcements, we have kids camp and middle school camp coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, that's June 15th through 18th, and you can still register your children uh, for those camps uh, on the uh, current sign-ups page on the Faith Bible website. So we encourage you to do that in the, uh, in the coming days. And second, uh, our worship times, uh, 9 and 11, will continue on through July the 5th. And then on July the 12th, we are going to return to our regular service times as well as our regular Sunday ministries. So Sunday schools for kids and youth, uh, adult Bible fellowships, everything will kind of start back on July the 12th. And we'll be telling you more about that as we get closer. Uh, but until then, we will only have nursery and child care for kids up to, up to pre-K age. So uh, just be aware of that going forward. So as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning, uh, I want to, uh, to call us to worship. It's my privilege to call us to worship through the reading of God's word. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, the Lord says this to his prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare, her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are young. Let's turn our hearts together to our good shepherd this morning and glorify his name together on this wonderful Lord's Day. Addie? Articulate with a thousand 
worship you and if it puts me in the fire i'll rejoice because you're there too continue to magnify him as we sing.
You may be seated. Well, it's great to see more and more of you uh, in person. I'm here each week. Um, it's exciting. And uh, thanks to all of you who are watching uh, online as well. We appreciate you uh, watching us and being with us as well. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be gathering back together again. I thank uh, all of you here, here this morning for being here. It uh, warms my heart to see you here. It's uh, a lot easier to preach with people out here than it is just uh, look at an empty uh, congregation or an empty sanctuary. So we appreciate that very much. Um, this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm at the end of our, the message, so I want to just remind you of that so you can be preparing your hearts. Uh, this is the first Sunday, and so it's uh, great to be gathered back together, and we'll be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And uh, those who are watching online can take this opportunity to gather those elements together as well to partake with us. Uh, things are kind of slowly getting back to normal here at uh, church, I'm sure as they are um, in your daily lives. Uh, nursery to pre through pre-K is open this morning, so that's a big, uh, big step to take. Um, there's more to come, obviously, and we're very grateful for what we're able to do here um, right now. So things are getting back to, to normal, but uh, you know, as we look around at our country this morning, uh, things are anything but normal. Uh, these are uh, perilous times. Uh, these are days of uh, legitimate protests, but also uh, civil unrest and chaos. Uh, we've got the coronavirus pandemic, and uh, now right on top of that, we have a cultural pandemic as well. And it's all really symptoms of kind of a, a deeper spiritual uh, pandemic. Um, as all of us watch the news and uh, see the streets in turmoil, uh, my heart, like many of yours, aches. And we all yearn for righteousness, and we, we yearn for peace. So let's join our hearts together this morning before we open God's Word, and let's pray for our nation and, and for our people. Well, Father, we come before you today, and we recognize that you're exalted, you're enthroned in the heavens. And the Father, we look to you as our strength and our refuge. You're our present help in time of trouble. Father, you tell us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And Father, as we look out at our country today, we, we do pray for the families of Mr. Floyd and Mr. Arbery. Uh, their, their losses must be agonizing, Father, and we're, we're so sorry for what's happened. Uh, Father, we, we look to you for our leaders in, in these difficult times in which we live. Give them uncanny wisdom. Lord, help them to look to you. Help all of us to look to you for our lives and how we can shine for you in the darkness. Father, you tell us in your word that we're to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So, Father, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with your love for the world around us that so desperately needs it. Father, we pray for our leaders that you'll give them wisdom to know what to do in the various situations that they face. Lord, they, they need your help desperately. Uh, Father, I pray for each one of us here that uh, we'll do our part and what we can do in our culture to shine as lights for you in the darkness. So energize us, Father. Prepare us for these days in which we live. Help us. And Father, as we, we open the Word of God together now, we pray that uh, you'd minister to us, you'd encourage us, you'd strengthen us uh, through the living and abiding Word of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is uh, the 40th anniversary of Faith Bible Church. Uh, this is kind of a major milestone, a major mile marker here in the history of this church. Uh, we wanted to, to plan some kind of bigger celebration, but because of everything that's going on, we, we didn't think that would be a wise thing to do. Our, our options have been fairly limited. Uh, but uh, this is the 40th anniversary of Faith Bible Church. Now, is there anyone here uh, this morning at this service that was here 40 years ago when Faith Bible Church was formed? I know there was one lady in the earlier service. Anybody here? You have to stand up and kind of shout if you're, uh, if you're here. I might not be able to see you. It's, uh, there, it's becoming fewer and fewer as uh, time goes along. But uh, we thank you, uh, for those of you who may be watching uh, via the live stream, for your faithfulness. Uh, for all these years, for those people who, who founded this church 40 years ago. This is also, uh, for Cheryl and, and for me, this is our uh, 34th anniversary, so it's kind of a double blessing uh, for me today. I was uh, reminded of something I read this week. At the banquet for a 40th wedding anniversary, a husband was asked to give his friends a, an account of the benefits of such a long marriage. They said, tell us, what have you learned uh, from all these wonderful 40 years with your wife? And he said this, well, I've learned that marriage is the best teacher of all. It teaches you loyalty, forbearance, meekness, self-restraint, forgiveness, and a great many other qualities I wouldn't have needed if I'd stayed single. <laughs> 
Well, marriage is certainly a great teacher, isn't it? It's, uh, it's taught me a great deal, and I'm still learning. Uh, but the church of Jesus Christ is also a great teacher. And I'm so thankful for the ministry of Faith Bible Church uh, in my life and the life of my family for 29 years. Uh, this church has taught us a great deal. Um, it's blessed my family, and uh, we're deeply grateful uh, for Faith Bible Church and its, its ministry uh, in our lives over these years. Uh, this morning, though, is the 40th anniversary of this church, and we look back in gratitude at God's faithfulness to us over all these years for His goodness, for His gracious hand of blessing uh, that's been evident and rested upon us. But we also look ahead with great excitement to the work that God will do in and through us in the days ahead. And I believe the best days are ahead of us uh, here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, one of the best quotes I've read about the church um, in fact, it'll kind of frame today's message, but someone said this, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. And that's a great statement. It's very applicable for today. The world, when it's at its worst, needs the church to be at its best. And more than ever today, the world needs us as the church of Jesus Christ to be at our best. We need to be at our best for Jesus Christ the head of the church. We need to be at our best for God's people who gather here every week. But we also need to be at our best for the world around us. We need to be at our best when things are at their worst. And there's a passage of Scripture, I think, that tells us clearly how to do that. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you'll take your Bible and turn there with me, I really think in this chapter uh, we have what we might call the church at its best. So take your Bible and turn, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Just a, a little bit of brief history since this is the 40th anniversary of this church. Uh, Faith Bible Church was founded the first Sunday of June back in 1980. And uh, Russell McKnight was the first Bible teacher here at Faith Bible Church. And he was the teacher of the college class at Metropolitan Baptist Church where I attended. And I'll never forget in the spring of... Uh, of uh, that year, he, uh, he came in and he told us, I just returned from college for my junior year, and told us he was going to be his last Sunday with us. He was coming up here to begin teaching at a, a new church that was going to be found that they didn't have a name for it at the time. And so uh, Russell McKnight came here, and he was the, the, the Bible teacher here, the, the main pastor for a period of, uh, of about 11 years. And uh, he resigned in the fall of 1990, and they were kind of having different people fill the pulpit here at the church. And so they called me uh, in the early spring of 1991 and asked me if I'd want to come and speak at the church. Was it happened, they were building the building, the small building over there, the beginning of that. And that Sunday that I came, the first Sunday, was the first Sunday they were able to meet in that building. So I was the first person to preach in the, in the building they had there, just as God would have it, just uh, as a guest speaker. And uh, so as I, I think about Faith Bible Church and uh, its beginning during those different times, um, as I as was able to preach there in, in the new building for the very first time, um, I preached on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this passage. Because they were moving into their new building, I realized they were going to be there. And I thought this, this would be a great passage as that church reached a milestone and was looking ahead. So what I want to do this morning on the 40th anniversary of this church is return back to the passage that I preached as a guest here 29 years ago um, as we uh, moved in, as they moved into the new space there at the church. And the passage I preached on the very first time I spoke here at Faith Bible Church was 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 13. It's a pretty long passage. Um, we won't have time to look at all of it in detail, but it's a great text for us this morning as we reach this milestone of the 40th anniversary at our church. Let me read these verses for us. For you, brethren, yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain. For after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. For just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. 
Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk worthy in a manner of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which, is all, which also performs its work in you uh, who believe. Well, so reads the, the, living, the, the word of the living God. Now, I want to take this text just for a moment and put it in its context Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians on his second missionary journey. If you go back to to Acts chapter 17, you'll read the story there of the founding of the church at Thessalonica. Um, The the city was on uh, the Via Ignatia of the the, the kind of the I-40 of the ancient world of that day. Now, Paul had been to the city of Philippi, and the next great place he came to was the city of Thessalonica. And so it's the second church founded there on European soil. And if you go back to Acts 17 and read the account there, it says when Paul came there with his friends, they literally turned the world upside down. And of course, so you know the story, many of you, that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave kind of quickly and unceremoniously as they were kind of ushered um, out of town. And, of course, Paul goes on down and ends up in Athens. And when he's there, he keeps wondering what has happened to the church back at Thessalonica. And so he sends Timothy back there to find out how things are going. And Timothy comes back sometime later with great news of how the work at Thessalonica is progressing. And so Paul writes this first letter of Thessalonians back to those believers probably about six months or so after the church was founded. And Paul finds out from Timothy the church there had not only survived, but it had thrived. In fact, you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They were an example to all the believers. They were a model church, if you will. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a success story. It's the church at its best, if you will. And you'll notice in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul begins, For you yourselves know, brethren, our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, he says, when we came to you, it wasn't empty. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't fruitless. In other words, our ministry there among you was effective. And so this becomes a model for us of the kind of ministry that lasts, the kind of ministry that's effective. What we really have in this chapter in many ways is a blueprint for ministry. It's a a biblical philosophy of ministry. It's what faithful gospel ministry really looks like. And of course, we all want our ministry here at this church and what we do here to be lasting, to have eternal results. And so we have in this chapter what I like to call the church at its best. Now, there's three keys in this chapter or this section to the church being at its best or having a ministry that's going to last. It's the message and then the motives and then the method. We have to have the right message. We need the right motives and we need uh, the right message or the right method. So this is a great reminder of what we're to be here at Faith Bible Church. And I hark back to uh, 29 years ago of preaching this message in the, the small uh, chapel that we had over there at the time to try to encourage the church to be all it can be um, in this world in which we live. Now, you'll notice he starts out and he says in verse 2, For after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So this is Paul's second missionary journey. He landed there in Europe at Philippi. The next place he came uh, was the city of Thessalonica. And he says, we had boldness to speak to you amid much opposition. Now, I see a a beautiful picture here of uh, what we're to be like in the church. And one of the, the lessons we learn here is don't give up in the early days, even if it's difficult. 
When winds can beat us and batter against us and circumstances aren't to our liking, we're not to give up. We're not to quit when the going is tough in the church. And sometimes it can be. But God can take what is little and God can make it large if we're faithful. Uh, don't give up in the early going uh, when it's tough. I remember uh, when Cheryl and I and our family ended up coming here to Faith Bible Church as uh, the pastor here in October of uh, 1991. Um, it was uh, good and kind of smooth sailing like it is a lot of places for about the first six months we were here. And uh, then due to some different circumstances, it became very difficult here for a period of, of about a year and a half. And I look back to that time, and I see a lot of good that came from that in my own life and my own ministry. But I also look back and think, if Cheryl and I have, had given up, we would have missed so much blessing. And we're so thankful for God's strength and God's help to see us through some of those early uh, difficult days. And that's what Paul is doing here. He, he's looking back and, and thinking about the early times when it was tough, but he didn't give up and how God had blessed what they had done. And by the way, let me just say this morning, you can apply that to marriage as well. You can apply it to business, uh, to life, uh, to ministry, not to give up in the early days when it might be difficult and, and, and forfeit the great blessings that may come, come, come later. Paul here is looking back and he's celebrating and rehearsing what God had done, even though it was very difficult in the beginning. And he's thankful that he didn't quit in the face of difficulty. And so I just say that because some of you today might be facing some real difficulty in your life, and maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in a business. If, if God, by His strength, will, will give you the power to persevere and not to give up, and you'll ultimately come through to the other side, and you'll be glad in the end uh, that you stuck with it, that you hung in there. So that's what we're doing here this morning. We're, we're talking about hanging in there in ministry. And it wasn't always easy, but we can look forward back and see how God has worked and how he's blessed us. The focus here in this passage, though, or at least in these first verses, is on the message. That's really the foundation here of what Paul is talking about. The message is what matters the most. Because if that isn't in place, nothing, nothing else really matters. Notice here in these verses... In uh, verse 2, he mentions the gospel of God. Then notice down in verse 4, we were entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Look down in verse 8. We were imparting to you the gospel of God. Look at verse 9. We were proclaiming to you the gospel of God. Four times you have the gospel message mentioned here. You and I have been entrusted with a message by God, the saving message of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we're to proclaim. It's the good news that God has dealt with the sin problem. He's dealt with the penalty of sin. He's dealt with the power of sin in our daily lives. And ultimately, he's going to deal with the presence of sin as we're in his presence forever. Notice on down in verse 13, he mentions the Word of God twice. For we also constantly thank God when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of man, but for what it really is, the Word of God which performs its work in you who believe. He's saying here, look, the words we spoke to you, the Bible, is more than just mere words. It is the mind of the eternal God. It's the very word of God Paul believed. He was speaking uh, to the believers there. Uh, years ago, Robert Chapman uh, wrote this about the Bible. This is one of the best statements about the Bible I've ever read. He says, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. If, it, if, 
It should, fill, it should fill the memory, test the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It has given you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. That's what Paul came and proclaimed to the believers um, at Thessalonica. And that's the message that God wants us to proclaim is um, his precious word. There's a book I read years ago, and I would recommend it to any of you who like missionary stories. It's the story of John G. Patton. His name is P-A-T-O-M, but I think it's pronounced Patton. And he was a a missionary to uh, the, the island of the Hebrides. Uh, the, those islands are, you know, filled with cannibals. I mean, it was a, it, it's, it's a harrowing story to read about um, his faithfulness to go there and to spread the gospel. But there's a great story in there about at one point in time after things had kind of calmed down there and the gospel had begun to spread, he was talking to one of the men there and uh, they were building some, some various things. And so Patton needs some things and so he scribbles down on a piece of wood some words gives him to the chief of the tribe there and sends him to his wife. And his wife reads what's on there, gives this man what he needs and brings it back. And this, this chief is just blown away by this, that the wood could speak to her and tell her what he needed. And so they called this the talking wood as he would write things down. And the chief was dumbfounded that the piece of lumber could speak. And Patton later said this to the man in in broken Tannese language. He said, I read him the words and informed to him that in the same way God has spoken to us through his book, the Bible. And when the Bible was finally translated many years later, the natives found that the miracle of a speaking page was no less wonderful than uh, the speaking wood. In fact, they would call the Bible the talking wood because it was God speaking uh, directly to them. And that's what the Bible does in your life and my life. It speaks to us. It talks to us. It's living and it's active as we read its word. And that's why proclaiming God's word is the heart of what we do here at Faith Bible Church. It's what this church was founded upon. And uh, thankfully, by his grace, it's what we're still doing here today. That's the heart of what we do. I mean, you could summarize our ministry by the idea of reaching and teaching. We want to reach people who are lost. We want to edify and teach people who are believers. We want to evangelize the lost. And we want to edify believers. And the key to all of that is the Bible. It's the Word of God. Uh, Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer, who founded Dallas Seminary, he used to, to speak to the men there on the weekend as they would go out to preach at various churches. And one of his great famous statements he would say to them almost every week was, go out there and give the people something to believe. I love that. Give people something to believe. Give them uh, the Word of God. There's an old quote I read years ago I love. Someone said this, God uses those who use the message that God uses. I like that. God uses those who use the message that God uses. And, of course, that message is of the Word of God. And I think the best means to proclaim God's Word is what's called expository preaching, where we look into the Scripture and it's time that it was written and we understand it and we find the meaning of God's Word and we proclaim um, its meaning for us today. And that's been the pattern here of Faith Bible Church for 40 years as we've sought to exposit and explain and unfold the meaning of the Word of God to our lives today and apply it to our lives one, one person called this exaltational exposition. It's teaching that exalts, the, exalts God and exalts the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. Many of you uh, know the name John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin, uh, the great preacher during the Reformation. Um, he came to the city of Geneva in 1536 at the very beginning of uh, the Protestant Reformation. And he began to teach the Bible and teach it methodically and regularly, going through the Bible and just teaching it systematically. Uh, in less than three years, the leaders there had had enough, and they basically drove him out of the city of Geneva. 
But three years later, they came to Strasbourg, where he was, where he'd gone, and they asked him to return to Geneva. They realized that they had been wrong and that he was right. And I love this. On the first Sunday back in Geneva, he began to preach at the very point where he left off three years earlier. And he was, under, he was just underlying and making the point there to the citizens of Geneva that Reformation comes by consecutively preaching the Word of God and laying out its meaning and unfolding its meaning uh, for God's people. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, where it's all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture, those things will never fill anybody's stomach nor feed his soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that really feeds your soul, and go often. I love that. That's what we need. Now, you see down here in verse 13 that there's a reciprocal relationship, though, between the preacher and the people. Notice what he says in verse 13. We thank God that when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. So you have the proclamation of the preacher, but you also have the reception of the people. They welcome the Word of God into their lives for what it really is, the very Word of God Himself. And that's what you and I do here each week. I have the privilege to proclaim the Word of God, but you have the responsibility to receive it as the very words of God Himself. Adelaide Stevenson was uh, governor of Illinois. He lost actually two presidential elections to Dwight Eisenhower. But he was speaking once at Princeton University. And at the beginning, he said this, I understand I'm here to speak and you're here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. And uh, that's my goal every week when I get up here and speak. I hope we, uh, we both get finished at the same time. But it's my privilege to faithfully proclaim God's Word, but it's your responsibility to come hungry every week to hear the Word of God and to welcome and to receive uh, the Word of God um, into your lives. And, and that's what he's really saying here in this passage. It's to welcome God's Word into the life. Look, the key measure of a ministry and of a minister is how faithful we are to the Word of God. The old message of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, and how hungry we really are as a group of people uh, to receive that. And that's true on both ends, on my end as proclaiming and your end um, as receiving, how faithful we are to the Word of God. There won't be any lasting or everlasting impact in our lives or in and through this church without uh, the Word of God. So the cornerstone of the church at its best is the faithful, steady, systematic proclamation of the Word of God and a congregation, a group of people who are hungry to welcome it into their lives, whose lives are, are good soil that are ready to take in the seed and to bring forth a harvest in their lives. So that's the first ingredient here of this church here at Thessalonica. They were a church that received the message of God from the Apostle Paul. Now, the second ingredient to be at our best, to be a church at its best, is the motive. Because motives matter to God. It matters not only what we do, but why we do it. God doesn't just look at our hands. He looks at our hearts. Uh, God cares not only about the what and the how, but the why. And you notice what Paul says in verse 3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or way of deceit, but we've been approved by God. Notice down in verse 5, we didn't come with flattering speech or the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from man. So the motives matter. Paul says, look, we didn't come with error or impurity or deceit. The word deceit was used of catching fish with bait. Paul wasn't using dishonest means to try to trick people. He said, we didn't come with flattery, trying to, to please people or kind of a Christian salesmanship or, you know, kind of deception by slick eloquence. He said, we didn't come with flattery. I like a, a definition I heard one time of gossip and flattery. Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face. Flattery is saying to someone's face what you wouldn't say behind their back. And Paul says, look, we didn't come with, with flattery to just butter you up. And he said, we didn't come with greed as a, a pretext for greed. They didn't come with a promise or a formula for wealth if, if you would give to their ministry. 
And he says down in verse 6, we didn't come for self-glory. We didn't seek glory from men. Paul didn't come desiring everybody to look up to him, to, to feed his own ego or pride. He didn't insist on his own importance or throw his weight around. He, he, he didn't seek glory for himself. He was humble. And of course, the right motive, the proper motive that Paul has when he comes to preach is a pure, sincere heart to please God. Notice the end of verse 4, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. You and I need to be sincere, and we need to be authentic. We need to be sincere, not slick. We need to be authentic and not deceptive or manipulative in the presentation of God's Word. It goes to our motive. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, to a, a Bentley dealership. Um, I've never been to one. Um, I've seen them in Dallas. I've never seen one around here. But uh, I, I've got a friend of mine who's been in one, and he says that when you go in there, uh, they don't really have much to say. The car just kind of sells itself, right? It's such a, a beautiful uh, luxury car. I mean, it just kind of sells itself. There's beauty and elegance and all the features it has. Now, I was doing a little bit of reading a while back. Um, I've, I've actually been look at, looking at replacing my car, so I've been kind of looking at some things. And uh, the worst car of the 2000s is the Pontiac Aztec. Now, if you've had one of those, I'm sorry. That's just what they say. But if you're going to go buy a Pontiac Aztec from a used car lot, it'd be a totally different approach than a Bentley. A lot of manipulation probably, slick presentation, right? All kinds of things to kind of cajole you into buying this vehicle. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is a Bentley. I mean, it sells itself. It's glorious. It's rich and beautiful and fully loaded. It's dependable. The gospel doesn't need ornamentation or a slick sales job. It's beauty sells itself. Of course, here in this church, we use media and technology. We appreciate all of that. It's, it's a wonderful thing to have. But I hope everybody that goes here knows that we're not trying to be slick or manipulative here at Faith Bible Church. With God's Word, we don't have to be complex. We don't have to be complicated. And I pray that's always true here at Faith Bible Church. The simplicity will mark our ministry here, and that's intentional. It's on purpose. Because what we want people to see is the glory of the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. There's an old phrase I, I ran across years ago that I love, simply preach the word and preach the word simply. That's good. It's a great watchword to simply preach the word and to preach the word simply. That's what we want to do here. We want our ministry to be marked by sincerity and by simplicity. Pleasing God through a, a simple, clear proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ. I like what uh, Alexander White, the great preacher, said years ago. It, this was what was said about him. It says, he took the ministry and his teaching seriously, but he didn't take himself seriously. And I like that. He was a man that took the Word of God and took his ministry seriously, but he didn't take himself too seriously. And that's what we want to be about here at this church. Look, we, we have the message. We have the Word of God, and our motive is to be a simple, sincere heart uh, to please God. Now, one other building block we need for the church to be at its best is the method. And we're not going to have time to look at these verses in detail. I commend them to you to read them on your own. But notice the method in verses 7 through 12 basically is truth and love. We need both of those in the church. We need to proclaim the truth, but we also need love. And for the Apostle Paul, ministry wasn't a profession. It was a passion. Paul toiled and he worked hard and it wasn't easy. He spent time preaching and praying and serving and loving other people. And as you read here in verses 7 through 12, you'll see in this whole section, you'll see Paul uses the word brothers over and over again or brethren. And you can include in that brothers and sisters because he saw the church as a family. And Paul sees himself in this section as a mother caring for her children and as a father who's instructing and encouraging and modeling to his growing children the right, right way to live. Notice what he says in verse 7. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Just like a, a mother, her whole life revolves around her children and their needs. That's the way Paul was uh, with these believers, 24-7. 
And he's telling us here that true ministry is one of self-giving and sharing our life for the benefit of other people. And sharing our life with others is a matter of self-denial. It's costly and it's demanding. But if we want to have the kind of ministry God wants us to have here at Faith Bible Church, that's the attitude we have to have. We have to practice the gospel as well as just preach the gospel. Again, notice down in verse 8, having a fond affection of you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel but our own lives. We can't uh, give the message without giving the messenger. We have to give ourselves along uh, with the message. And this is for all of us here at the church as we minister together uh, to seek God's best for this church. And here's just a good question to ask. Are you giving your life to other people sacrificially and serving um, in this church? I mean, this is a powerful picture of a, of, of a mother, a mother who's caring tenderly for her children. Is this the, the kind of love we have for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Well, he also gives the picture here of a father in verses 9 through 12. By the way, verses uh, 10 through 12 are one long sentence in Greek. And Paul's saying, look like a father among you. I was challenging you and correcting you and charging you, disciplining you, instructing you. In other words, he's setting the tone and the temperature, Paul is, for the ministry there. And what he's saying here is our ministry and our message must be embodied and exemplified in love. And he says, we did this for each one of you, which highlights to me that ministry is personal. It's one by one. Now, I know on Sunday mornings we speak and minister to a crowd here, but we have to remember that when you break ministry down ultimately, it's one by one. And just like a, a father and a mother know how to deal with their children differently, we need to, to deal with one another differently in the church as individuals. But verse 12 here, he says, we did all this so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and his own glory. We don't walk worthy to get saved, but we walk worthy because we are saved. And this is the kind of ministry Paul had at the city of Thessalonica. Look, the world, when it's at its worst, needs the church to be at its best. And as we launch into the future here and the days ahead, we need to be at our best as a church. We need to be at our best here at Faith Bible Church in everything that we do. I read a story years ago about a pastor who had a friend who came to see the church that uh, they just built a new building, and he'd taken him through and shown him all the, the different parts of, of the church. And finally, the man, kind of thinking back on what he'd seen, he says, I can't really remember. He said, what was the largest room there in the church? And the pastor looked at him and said, the room for improvement. <laughs> I like that. That's always the biggest room. It's the biggest room in our lives, and it'll be the biggest room at this church. We still have room for improvement, a lot of improvement. We haven't arrived. We're not even close. We need to remain humble and teachable and expectant and remain dependent upon the Lord. We're deeply grateful for what God has done here over the last 40 years at Faith Bible Church. But we have to be forward-focused, looking at what God desires for us to do. And by God's grace, we hope to, to keep growing more and more into the body of believers and that Jesus Christ wants us to be. And there's these three essentials for that to happen. Our message. Our message is the gospel. It's the Word of God, simply, systematically proclaimed and eagerly welcomed by the people. We have to have the right motive, a simple, sincere heart to please God. We have to have the right method, and that method is loving one another like people in a family, like a father and like a mother. So our message needs to be clear, our motives need to be pure, and our method uh, needs to be engaging. There's a story, I think I've mentioned this here before uh, some years ago, but uh, back during uh, the time of Oliver Cromwell in England, he was the, the, the Lord Protector of England back in the mid-17th century. Um, he was in power, uh, Oliver Cromwell was, and of course the Anglican Church dominated uh, the Church of England back in those days. And it was against this backdrop that there was an inscription from uh, the Herald Church that was written there. And, and uh, uh, they were on, kind of on, uh, Cromwell was kind of on the war path there against the church. But here's what this inscription said at the Herald Church. In the year of 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation destroyed or profaned, 
This church was built to the glory of God by Sir Robert Shirley, whose singular praise it was to have done the best things in the worst of times. The church was built to the glory of God. He said he did the best of things in the worst of times. And the, the, the person who wrote this says, what a praise, doing the best things in the worst times. And then he says, it certainly seems we're living in the worst times. The United States, spiritually, morally, politically, our nation's rapidly drifting away from God. Christianity is under attack from within and without. Biblical Christianity is in decline and vilified at every turn. In these worst times, God is calling us to be about doing the best things. But what are the best things that you and I need to be doing? The best thing is to build and strengthen this local church to the glory of God, to be doing the best of things in the worst of times, strengthening a church to shine as a light in the darkness in this world in which we live, proclaiming and welcoming God's Word, simply, sincerely giving ourselves to one another in love. That's what God wants us to be as we go ahead as a church, as we go forward. So my prayer is that God will help us to be that kind of church as we await of the coming of Jesus Christ. May God help us in these days ahead. Let's pray. Well, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that you'd do that right now. You'd look to Him and call upon Him to save you from your sins. Father, I look for, uh, we look to you as a church. We pray that you'll help us to do the best things, Father, in the worst times. We live in difficult days, Lord, all around us. We see all kinds of things that trouble us. We thank you that you're seated on your throne, that heaven has an occupied throne. We thank you that we have the privilege in these days to be serving you. And Father, may it be said of us that we've done the best of things in the worst of times in which we live. Oh, Father, help us and encourage us and minister to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to this church for so many years. Lead us and guide us, we pray, into the future. And now, Father, we pray that you'll bless us as we come now to observe the Lord's Supper together and to remember our precious Savior who gave himself for us. We ask these things in his dear name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. As we come to the Lord's table, it's exciting and encouraging to know that this is something that this church has been doing for 40 years. It's something that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And so whether you're prepared to take at home or you're in the room here with us, know that uh, if you're gathering at the Lord's table, the only prerequisite is that you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that you're looking to him to be uh, your savior from sin and death, uh, and he is your only hope uh, in this life and in eternity. Uh, if you're in the room with us today, you need one of these. You need this little communion cup. There's some on the side tables and also some in the back as well. Uh, here's what we're going to go ahead and do because these are a little bit clumsy. We're going to go ahead and peel back the first layer, which gives you access to uh, the little wafer or the bread portion of, of communion. Uh, so there are two layers, two little films uh, that are a part of this uh, contained communion cup. The first uh, uncovers the bread. So go ahead and peel that back. Uh, we'll all do that together so we can kind of get through this as we move along. In Scripture, uh, we're told repeatedly that God gives us bread to sustain us and wine to gladden us. So bread to sustain us. Think manna in the desert. Think Jesus and the Lord's Prayer where he instructs us to give thanks uh, for this day, our, our daily bread. And then wine to, to gladden us. Think the Psalms or, or think of the wedding feast of Cana in John chapter and so as we remember the work of Christ with these two simple ingredients that are prescribed for the Lord's Supper, we should connect them with those biblical promises of sustenance and with joy. And what I mean by that is Jesus Christ is our sustainer. He sustains all physical life by his power and his might. We live because he is the author of life. We live because he lives. So as bread sustains life, Christ more substantially sustains our life and the life of the church. Jesus is also our joy. Deeper than happiness, richer than fortunate circumstances, we have joy because we have him. 
Jesus is our joy. So as wine gladdens the heart, Christ more substantially brings joy to your life and joy to the life of the church. These elements by themselves sustain and gladden the life of man. These elements in the hands of the church, because they point us to our Savior, sustain and gladden in an exponentially greater way. But this is what we also know about ourselves. We tend to seek replacement saviors. Replacement sustainers. Our own resources. Our own financial viability. Our own ability to maneuver and network and control our lives. Sometimes we look to that to sustain us. We look to replacement pleasures. Those things that we think will bring us joy and satisfaction but always seem to fall short. This supper we're taking brings us back to Jesus. He is our sustainer. He is our joy. Let's bow our heads in silence before we take these elements together. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it. Let's give thanks for the bread. Father, thank you for the life of Jesus Christ. His physical life in which he physically died on the cross for us. His body broken for us. We thank you for his perfect righteousness that we can lay hold of and make our own through his work on the cross. After he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. All right, so that next little film, go ahead and peel that back as best you can. Again, kind of clumsy. Apologize. I think you understand why it is we're doing it this way, though. Scripture says that in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, to just say thank you for the shed blood of Jesus seems so inadequate. But Lord, we want to thank you with our whole selves, not just with our words, but with our lives. Because we look at the sacrifice of Christ and the power of his shed blood and what it has done to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We think upon that, and we are beyond overjoyed. We're beyond grateful. We thank you for that sacrifice. Do this as often as you drink it, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. Take the cup together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you that as a church family, we are here taking the Lord's Supper together. Perhaps we have taken for granted this opportunity to gather at your table and to enjoy and celebrate this supper together. But Lord, thank you that we were able to do this today. Thank you for the gospel that's proclaimed at the table, that we've heard the gospel preached today, we've sung the gospel as we've worshiped together, and and we've tasted it as we've gathered at the table here. So, Lord, as we, as we sing, just to consecrate this time, Lord, drive deeply into our hearts this idea that our chains are gone. We are free people. Our debt is paid. You have paid it. And the cross has overthrown the grave, God. We will live forevermore because we know and worship your Son, our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray.